Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroya.io. So this is uh, the first version of Arroya Office Hours. Welcome to everyone. Um, this is going to be a relatively informal discussion where we talk about the platform and, and uh, cannabis cultivation in general. And it's something that fascinates us and is the reason why we made the product in the first place. But through talking with growers, we hope to understand more about how the platform is being used, the specific challenges that you're seeing, share some of our own experiences, and uh, generally just have a discussion around the purpose of the platform, which is to, uh, to help growers to succeed. Um, if you do have questions to start out with, please at any time and, and uh, you know, beginning now, just drop them into chat and we will get to them as they come up. I'm here with Jason. Jason is right uh, here next to me Everybody. Um, in the, the studio. And we are going to be doing these every week. So if we don't get to a topic, we will cover it in future versions of this. And it's just a time to get together for every, everybody who uses Arroya or is interested in Arroya and um, get into this, uh, the growing and existing um, cannabis industry. So we will talk about some of the product uh, features and, and tips. And I'll start out kind of with my own story today because it's, it's relevant to, I think, what we're talking about. And then, but as we do that, let's please drop your questions and, and thoughts into the chat as we go. So uh, to start out with, um, I decided to, uh, you know, after many months of having talked to customers and visited facilities and use the, uh, seeing them using the platform, I decided to try and get some experience using the platform myself. So I got some hemp seeds and I got a tent and I started to try to grow plants and I did it with an Arroyo system. And the things that I've learned along the way really helped me understand how difficult it is to grow plants properly. But in sharing that information, we can start out with probably the worst example of a cannabis grow and talk about all the silly and dumb things that I'm doing wrong. And then hopefully get to some better examples as other people drop their thoughts and, uh, and observations in. So uh, without any further ado, I will jump in and share my screen. So. Uh, I can do that here and we'll go into Arroya. I set this up uh, as a, a grow facility. I call it the four by four tent, mostly because it is a four by four tent. And I'm going to go through some of the data here um, and have uh, Jason look at it as well and start off with some really basic things. So if I go in here and look at, at what I'm doing, I just have one zone. I like to think that this is the most technologically advanced Arroyo install in the world because I have four plants and three sensors. So um, when I go in here and look at that at that zone, um, I can see some of the things that are going on. And basically, the situation is that I have uh, I planted these plants a couple of months ago. Um, let's turn off <clears throat> light VPD. Actually, let's turn off the air temperature as well. And started watering them. Um, ran into a bunch of issues. The very first issue that I ran into um, was that I didn't completely saturate the um, growth media. 
And um, maybe Jason, you can tell me what you think uh, from looking at these data, but uh, uh, one of the issues with just one of my sensors is that it's in like 11% water content and the EC is reading super high. Um, and so um, the way that you would know this in Arroyo is by clicking on this and looking for individual sensor readings instead of having them aggregate as an average in the zone. And you can see that a couple of the sensors are giving us reasonable uh, poor water EC readings, and one of them really isn't. So is this something you see very often in a, at customer sites, um, Jason? Yeah, we can see this uh, every once in a while at, at customer sites. And obviously, the higher sensor density you have, the more likely you'll catch plants that may not have been soaked out well in that media. Um, also, sometimes you'll have issues with your drippers, uh, irrigation system failures, that type of stuff. So when we do see that, it's an easy way to, to know that some of the uniformity in the facility needs to be addressed before we really jump into crop steering. Yeah, okay. So that's really where I want to start, start off with. A lot of these issues that I'm facing are ones that um, that people who are newer to growing face. And another example of that was just the temperatures. So if I go back here, let's see. Um, well, let, let me just put my temperatures up for a minute. One thing that was that was a problem when I started growing, it was it was kind of toward the end of summer and my garage was really hot. And so I didn't need to heat anything. And just within the last couple of weeks, it, it started to get a lot colder here. And I started to heat, uh, to, I put a heater in the tent to keep it warm. And you can see that the temperatures are a little higher, but I'm having trouble um, maintaining and keeping that, uh, that temperature regular, which doesn't necessarily happen at a lot of, of indoor facilities. But speak to that, um, uh, that point you just made, Jason, about getting consistency and um, kind of a, a homogeneous atmospheric uh, state, a homogeneous substrate you know, controllability before trying to do things like crop steering. Why is that so important? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm kind of excited the way that you approach this because uh, a lot of our clients get really excited about looking at the water content and EC data right off the bat. Um, obviously, the Terrace 12 has been an incredible uh, change in how a lot of our cultivators are analyzing their systems, not necessarily as common as uh, environment sensors, but you're exactly right. We do want to typically evaluate that environment, how consistent it is, is it doing the things that we expect it to do before we really begin trying to crop steer. So um, by getting that consistency in your environment, um, making sure that your temperatures are in the right area, that you're achieving the humidity that you need to match that temperature for appropriate BPD, um, all these things are gonna be how you can have repeatable cycles. And in the end goal, if we can limit the number of variables that are changing, um, especially variables that are changing on accident, then that's where you get to projectability and you can start making those crop strain changes for improvement. Yeah, yeah, I, I like I like how you addressed that. So let's actually um, look at the, the entirety of the data and maybe zoom in on some of these things. I mean, the <laughs> what's going on here is a little bit crazy. Um, so I'll go back to our... Yeah, thank you, uh, Chris. So I'll go back to our um, to our original slide here, and you know, if you had a customer, if you were talking to a customer whose data looked this bad, um, and then just saying, well, you do have to have consistency. I mean, one of the big problems I had was that I couldn't even consistently water the plants. Um, I got an open sprinkler partway through, like in um, I think it was around September type front time frame, but before that, 
I was just using a, a switch on the wall and plugging in a pump and then just turning the pump on every once in a while and watering the plants. And you can see that there are waterings happening on a frequent basis. Um, then after I got the open sprinkler um, pumped in, but um, what uh, what are some other things you would say to a customer whose data looked this bad, Jason? And don't hold back. Um, we would we would definitely start off by talking about facility operations. Um, you know, exactly like you said, our open sprinkler. Or do we have an irrigation system that that's keeping uh, regular irrigations happening every single day do we have control variables or control equipment in there to keep your environment in the ranges that we want and are all of those operating appropriately so typically when we see some data like this it comes down to operating infrastructure of, of what's going on in the facility and that's that's the first step before we really even start making any decisions based on this data we want some control variable data or control data that um, gives us an idea of how stable it is. And if we haven't achieved some stability, let's kind of take a step back and start start working on improving facility resources to, to get those things where where we want to be. Okay. Yeah, that hey, makes sense. Scott and Jason, Sorry, um, we yep. have a couple questions that have been submitted. I wanted to uh, let you know about John's. The first one, he wants to know, how is Arroyo different from a crop steering app like GrowSense? Yeah, that's, that is a, an excellent question. Um, I mean, some of it has to do with, um, with the, the sensors themselves. So, um, GrowSense is a system that, um, that meter group makes. So we, we make that sensor and we are partnered with GrowSense to sell it. So the sensing technology is similar. Um, one of the first things that you get with an approach like this is, um, in Arroyo is that um, the sensors cost a little bit less, so you can afford to deploy more, more of them and get a representative sample. Um, but the, the key difference is the way that Arroyo is set up to be a production platform. So let me show my screen again and talk about this. Um, because uh, the, key, the key piece of Arroyo, first of all, um, is that it's set up to help um, growers broadly and not just specifically with what the um, poor water EC and water content readings are. And that starts with these recipes. So you say uh, these recipes are how you grow your plants. So we just have a basic veg uh, flower cure recipe in here. You're saying this is what I want to do in each phase of growth. Here are the targets and alerts. Here are the tasks. Here's the lighting schedule for, for each of these phases of growth. Once you have those set up in the system, then you um, then you can execute that by creating a harvest group. So you come back to harvest groups and you create those groups in here um, by saying um, what time uh, or what date the the harvest group is starting, what recipe you're using, what the harvest group name is, where all of those plants are going to be in the different uh, phases of growth. And by doing this, you get the data. So we look back here at the data. Sorry. We look back here at the data and we say, well, um, this is room data. So that's that's what you would get from Arroyo or GrowSense or, or anybody um, is room data. But the room data is being applied to this harvest group up here. So what that means is that each time you grow it, the room data is written to the harvest group and cultivar record. And then um, you use the software system to um, 
to help make adjustments during the cultivation phase. And then after that is done, because all that data is written to the cultivar record, you can go in here and I don't have any cultivar profile. Well, I, <laughs> I do have one grow in here uh, because I just put one um, cultivar in here, but each of the cultivars that you grow is um, listed in the cultivar profiles and then you can analyze those cultivars. And essentially that's what we've tried to build is a system that helps you understand what you're doing with each cultivar that you're growing, maximize the yield on that cultivar using um, using techniques like crop steering, um, but then continually improving that over time. And in your facility dashboard, you can see, hey, uh, in terms of uh, our grams per square foot um, per harvest, are we getting better or are we getting worse? Because that's the representation of everything that you're doing on the cultivation and post-harvest side. So, so that's how we see Arroyo as being different. It's a uh, production platform and you drive accountability using analytics like this because all of the cultivation and post-harvest processing data, including things like water activity, are written to the uh, cultivar records. So that, that's, uh, that's how those two systems are different. Got another question for you, Scott. Uh, Philip is asking, your WC readings are spanning a wide range. Can you explain why that is and was this expected? Yeah, uh, it was, how should I say this? It was um, expected just because, um, let me put it this way. Every person who starts out using the Roy system has a different goal. And my goal in this first phase was just to understand um, how stupid I was. And so from that perspective, seeing such uh, different water content readings um, does help me understand the things I don't know yet. And one of the things that I didn't know was was how to make sure that my substrate was consistent. And so, yeah, it, it, knowing what I know now, it does make sense that, that the water content readings are that different. And I know I'm not going to get good data and be able to move on to things like um, doing crop steering properly until I uh, solve the problem with my substrate. So I, I would say the answer is yes, I, it, it does make sense that my water content readings are, are that different. If you were to see water content readings that were this different in your grow though, that would, that would at the very least be an indication that the particular plant that the sensor is in um, is not getting water properly. This one that has 21% water content, uh, for example. And the reason that we would be concerned about 21% is that we know that stonewall, which is what I'm growing in, um, in my little four by four tent, that whenever the water content, if the water content ever gets below 35%, you're gonna have, um, the, the stonewall itself will turn hydrophobic and you won't be able to wet it up again properly. And what that means is you'll get channeling of the um, fertigation uh, water. And that just means that you're gonna get lower quality crop. So it, a really basic problem. Got another question from Chris. Yep. And this is for you, Scott, but it's also for everyone, all of our attendees. What topics would you like to see covered in the future? Um, I mean, yes. So uh, one of the uh, so topics that I want to see, there's there's lots of topics I want to see. But I mean, one of the things that interests me the most is how to use Arroyo data to dial in um, my irrigation strategy and, um, you, you know, um, how to use that information in a in a closed loop way to to adjust every day. I mean, one of the things that I noticed with my plants is that as they grew, you know, each day as they were growing, the 
their drybacks were changing just based on the size of the plant, for example. And uh, so the EC that I was reaching each day would change. And um, so using the data in a closed loop way to improve growing is, is something I, I hope that we, um, that, that I would like to, to talk to about as a subject in the future. Um, other attendees, what are your thoughts? I don't know if we're supposed to chat or talk, but I'm just going to talk. I would I would love to uh, hear more, maybe now or maybe in the future, but I know that Arroya is capable of a lot of things, including crop steering, but also things like task management. Like how, how would a company benefit from using Arroya's task management features and tie that into their success? Uh, it's something I would like to hear about. Yeah, um, and I haven't used tasks a lot um, in my um uh in my home grow because mainly i'm just assigning stuff to myself that i know i need to be doing anyway but um why don't um uh why don't you talk about that for a minute jason what do you see customers or clients doing with task management um that is uh effective yeah absolutely so there's uh a couple of ways that task management uh, can really help cultivators improve what's going on at their site uh, one of the things is the tasks are documented on the the data record. So when we look at harvest groups, we can see the number of tasks, what was getting done at what time. And for some types of tasks, it's going to affect the, the output, the yield of that crop. So we talk about, you know, how much deleafing uh, occurred or when it occurred. And we kind of keep an eye on the yields of a harvest group. We can start to understand what times would be best and, and how much defoliation per strain uh, type is is optimal for the the most photosynthesis that we can get out of those plants the other approach oh, is sorry jason just to, to say really quick that is one thing i actually did here so if you go into your um batch and you go to analytics i did take a few plant heights as we went along here and you can see um in the growth phase when the plants actually stopped stretching um and so that's when we that's when i actually flipped it to uh to bulking phase to um uh the the second phase of of flower is when the you know the plants um essentially stop growing so so yeah that i i agree that that setting up a, a task to do something like recording a plant height in the system is a really great way to get a a um a uh, good data set of information about the cultivar how tall are your plants <laughs> yeah, uh, that was another problem. Um, it, they were uh, a little over uh, uh, just like two and a half feet. So they were very, very small. Now, growing in a tent, you guys know that there's not a ton of room. So I didn't really mind it that much, uh, The first, uh, this being the first batch. Um, but if you go back to the data, you can see that there was a time. Uh, I'm going to have to go way back. Um, but there was a time when... Uh, uh, um, when I was actually gone on a business trip and my emitters got plugged and the plants didn't get watered for three days. So um, that in a very critical phase of growth, the plants uh, didn't get watered. Let's see. So that would have been right around uh, this time. And let's see if I can pull that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, see this phase right here. Uh, there was actually no plant watering going on at all uh, during these days. And um, I even called my wife and I said, the plants aren't getting watered. And so she went out and, and tried to open the valve manually to make sure they got watered. But as you guys know, that doesn't help much when your emitters are plugged. So 
a common problem that uh, that definitely hurt me. So sorry, Jason, keep going. Yeah, so the other thing I want to talk about with uh, with task management, um, obviously, having a shared platform where we're we're seeing notes, we're seeing data, we've got uh, analytical outputs for continuous improvement. Um, but yeah, if we do tasking through our recipes, we can start to outline what our plan is and get that information to to our uh, to our employees on a, on a daily basis um, on an outline. So when we look at the the scope of a three month flower cycle, for example, we're going to have pesticide applications. We're going to have uh, lots of tasks as far as checking certain types of runoff for data, uh, doing deleafing, maybe trellis work. Really, it comes down to each individual facility's approach to how they're growing. And so when we build that in a recipe, it's a template for every grow cycle. I always encourage people to have separate recipes for strains that grow drastically different. So we can do tasks at times when we're, we're flipping from one, or excuse me, switching from one uh, steering approach to another. So maybe when we're going from that, uh, that stacking phase to a bulking phase, we'll talk about checking our irrigation. Um, great task to have the first day of bulking so that we know we went to a wider irrigation window. Can I also just pose this question to Scott at Whipple Effect? If you're down to chime in, we would love to hear from you on what topics you'd like to see covered in the future, if you have any other thoughts. Are you speaking to me? I am. Oh, Eddie, I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, uh, basically, m one of my questions is that I'm currently doing a lot of work uh, creating plant schedules and timelines for facilities. Is there potentially uh, uh, any interest in creating a feature where you could input the number of flower rooms for any facility, you upload your Arroyo recipe for your clone timeline, your veg timeline, your flower timeline, harvest timeline, cure timeline, and then it would autofill automatically the facility's plant flow schedule because um, that seems to be uh it's not really an issue but it would be really nice to see something like that live within and if that's not interesting you guys i'll continue to use other uh, <laughs> means to generate that but it's it's a lot of work on my end i feel like most of the information already lives within the recipe so if you just already add like the number of flowering rooms you have it would be able to go through a formula and, and generate that information for me automatically yeah um i think that's an excellent suggestion and it's something that exists in our backlog eddie um to to look at essentially each room has a capacity and um i mean it's almost like a hotel right where um you know the the rooms have to give uh you know they have to house all the plants for a certain amount of time and just taking all that capacity and then um using it in a smart way to say this is you know this is how the the harvest groups should be scheduled in each room as they flow through. Um, it, am I understanding your suggestion right? Yeah, basically, like, let's say I have, I just know this off of the top of my head. If I have a 63-day plant schedule, that means I would have the plant live within a flowering room for 61 days. And on the 62nd day, I would clean. On the 63rd day, I would flip the room. And then yeah. I would... I could input the veg timeline of 14 days, 24 days, whatever you're running, I'm not going to judge. And then you would have your clone timeline as well um, yeah. that you would figure out through collecting this data per, per cultivar. It could live in each recipe. And then yep. it doesn't matter what cultivar you have. You've, you've harvested this data from the from your platform. You put it in and now I can just don't even have to think about it. It's telling me when to do these things. 
Yeah, um, so there's a couple of things I really like about that suggestion. The first is that uh, it just makes it dead easy for doing things that growers have to do all the time, growers or consultants have to do all the time anyway. And the second thing I really like about it is that um, is that how well that is done determines how efficiently you're, you're using a yes. fixed asset, which is, you know, in manufacturing, we call that overall equipment effectiveness, which right. is you know, availability times uptime times quality times times these things. And um, and a lot of people, a lot of facilities aren't focused on that. They they look at yields per harvest and then they don't look at how much, you know, grams per square foot per year. But if mm -hmm. you turn five and a half harvests into six harvests in a year at the exact same yield, your profitability is going to go up because you're spreading that rent cost or that lighting cost or right or those labor costs over over more output so i think it's a great suggestion yeah i sell the idea to facility owners that we're going to have 5.79 harvest per room per year mm -hmm. and yeah. i make sure that i achieve that and i would like to see if this is interesting to other people this is very interesting to me to put if this then that rules in it like if a harvest on this schedule falls falls on a sunday then we move the harvest to a friday and the flip to a monday yep and things like that you know so we have a monday through friday people not showing up sick on Sunday, that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's exactly right. Because, um, you know, the, the schedule has to conform to the, um, uh, the limitations in terms of labor or schedule or, um, other things that may not just appear in, Hey, this is a room that's X feet, you know, X square feet and can handle this many plants. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that we could show uh, is uh, is timing available on the app, uh, Jason, or is it only on the kiosk? Timing? Uh, the timing of tasks, like how long a, t a task takes. Oh yeah, no, it's it's available in here. So okay. If you jump into a journal or if you just build a new task, uh, we can check that out. So uh, how should I do this? Just click add on task. Sure. Okay, and I'll go. Do you leave? I'll schedule it for today. Actually, if you if you saw all my plant pictures, you probably would say I I do need to deleaf. So, um, and this task type, by the way, is just it's a task versus applying a pesticide, which is a special kind of task. Um, you can choose the zone. I only have one zone. You can put a prior uh, priority on it. Uh, the other thing some people don't know is that tasks can be not related to a particular room. They're just generalized tasks. We'll go ahead and save this one. So here's Delief. And what would I do now, Jason? Now let's just uh, click on that task. And it'll give us some options on timing our tasks, pausing the timing, uh, completing it, adding comments. So if uh, you wanted to, to reach out to Bob and see if he could help you Delief because um, you did it last time, then uh, then you can do that by saying <laughs> add comment, put an at symbol and uh, and get Bob in there and it'll send him a text notification or a push notification to his mobile app. Yes, yes, perfect. So um, so I just started the task and now I'm going to go ahead and finish it. And look at this, my D-Leaf task only took 15 seconds, which is uh, makes me definitely a top tier uh, worker. And, um, and it's finished now. Um, so this information is saved in the system. We don't do anything with it yet, except just save how long the tasks took. But we are working on a an analytics um, and dashboard page that would uh, sh show everyone what they want to see, like how long does each task take typically, and 
who does the tasks at the right quality and with the with the fastest time, for example. So um, this is uh, something that that we're um, that we've built to be able to time the tasks in the system. So we do save these in the database, and we're working on a a um, uh, an analytics piece that would make that valuable as well. Um, okay. Right. I, I have a new question here, and I hope I, I apologize if I get the pronunciation wrong from Takuya. He wants to know what kind of grams per square foot are good Arroyo customers getting? Can you give us a range? Hmm. Okay. Yes. Uh, the Lots of people are interested in this question. I think, you know, there are all different types of um, cultivation facilities out there. And so I think this depends on what type of facility you're running because there are um, indoor facilities um, that uh, where they have control over everything, where they've been running a long time and where they have um, great SOPs in place and they're really just out there out front drilling it and doing a great job. Um, uh, what would you say for like a top tier facility is a good yield? Uh, for indoor, uh, Jason, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so you know, I would say 90 grams per square foot. It's probably a, a, a real decent. You know, that would be a, a B plus or, or an A type of operating facility. Um, starting off using Arroyo, I've seen people down in the 35, 40 grams per square foot, and uh, and that's those specific ones. We usually typically get them up into say 60 grams, 70 grams per square foot within. Uh, within six months. So that's a really fun increase for us. It's a great increase for their shareholders, for their workers, for everybody there. We've got uh, a couple of facilities that have done even better than that on their improvements. And uh, we, we hear back that their employees are getting raises, taking more vacations, really getting some structure behind uh, behind the operation. Sure, sure. Um, what, uh, what about, I mean, as we go down and in terms of the input costs being less, what about a, um, like a greenhouse, but with some supplemental lighting, what, what might be a good yield for an operation like that? Oh, or would you, would you expect if they have enough supplemental lighting, the greenhouse yield should be the same as indoor. Um, I know that, you know, industry wide that it's not really there yet, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I mean, anytime that we're working to uh, combat the environment that you are in a greenhouse. So we've got a couple of types of greenhouses too. When you talk about, there's probably three levels of greenhouses. We've got some some closed loop greenhouses. So people actually put an HVAC humidifiers um, into their greenhouses. What they're really doing is basically capturing as much solar energy as they can, running exactly like an indoor. A uh, great way to cut costs, get nice full spectrum from, from that big ball of fire in the sky. Other type would be, um, vented greenhouses so we're talking about having pad pumps to control humidity and temperature having shutters having uh, fans all that types of stuff good controls in those types of facilities um you know theoretically they could achieve the same type as an indoor especially since you've got uh, lots of light intensity um, obviously that comes down to making sure that, that the greenhouse is uh, very dynamic in the way that it's controlling your relative humidity and temperature um, and your light, like you said, making sure that the light controller is uh, basically supplementing at the right times. We get a cloudy day and need those lights on for longer duration to achieve the same DLI. And one of the reasons that that daily, that daily lighting integral uh, being consistent is it's going to help you drive your irrigation schedules, uh, keep everything much more like an indoor. And then the last would be things like uh, hoop houses. So 
less controls, uh, you know, a lot, lot less energy outputs. We see these up in the hills of Humboldt, um, that type of stuff. So yeah, there is a big range. Um, when we talk about those, those closed and well-controlled greenhouses, uh, they should be able to achieve pretty close to what we see in the indoor simply because the, the plant doesn't know the difference if our, our environment is well controlled and we're getting the inputs that we need. Yeah. And we did get an awesome question uh, from cultivation team here that I want to get to in just a second. But, you know, what, what I've what I've seen on on greenhouse is roughly, um, you know, it'll depend on the season too, summer to winter. But, um, you know, maybe an average down around 40 to 45 in a in a greenhouse with supplemental lighting. And I've heard of yields, um, uh, you know, yields without supplemental lighting would be even lower than that because then you're just you're completely dependent on whatever natural light you're going to get. So um, and I even know that, you know, there are some you mentioned hoop house. So it kind of goes runs the full gamut from indoor. You control absolutely everything to kind of greenhouse. You're controlling things, but you have less control uh, for a lower cost. You go hoop house where you're only controlling like a couple of things. Then you go to full outdoor, which is, you know, it's just whatever light you can get from the sun, whatever weather you can get. And all you're really deciding is, is, you know, IPM and, and irrigation strategies at that point. But, uh, um, but then the operating costs are lower. Um, so, uh, I think, you know, everything from outdoor, you know, maybe, 15, if you said 15 grams a square foot outdoor, even with outdoor prices being low, you could still make money um, to being like 90 to 100 grams uh, per square foot indoor uh, per harvest is the full range that I've heard of um, in talking with people. So let's see. So um, I think uh, the question from cultivation team is, is uh, this is a great one. Just install, having just installed the system, he's wondering, um, is, is it better to start making changes right away? Or in your opinion, Jason, is it good then to um, to just keep doing what you're doing for the first harvest and set a baseline? What, what would your advice be? Yeah, so this is a great one because we're all so excited to make improvements. Um, and as a lot of people we work with have been cultivating for many, many years and they might have a great grasp of their facility. Um, sometimes they wanna make changes fairly quickly to get to that improvement. My suggestion is always to do at least one harvest cycle without making any significant changes. That way you've got a control data set. You get an understanding of what your variability is before you start uh, pulling strings around the facility. Um, obviously, if there are some, some serious complications that, that uh, arise quickly in, in the data sets, sometimes you can go in and start making some changes. But um, for any facility that is operating in, at a good capacity, to start with, when you first implement Arroyo, I would recommend the first harvest group be your typical operating schedule. Yeah, that's uh, that's some great advice. I also know from our own continuous improvements uh, uh, efforts that a great methodology is to change one thing. You know, changing a bunch of things at once is going to make it hard to determine what each of those, you know, the impact of each of those things. So. Um, if you get that good baseline and then change one thing, for example, like say during the first three weeks of flower, I'm going to uh, push more generative, try and get drybacks up to 25% and hit a particular EC and that's all you're changing, then you can see the effect that that's having. Is that 
is that reasonable, Jason? Yeah, that's a, that's a great explanation. And um, this is where facilities that have more rooms and as few strains as possible have major advantages because they've got faster repetition. They can change one variable in one room, maybe a different variable in a different room, um, and they get those results fairly quickly. Obviously, when we've got multiple cultivars, different types of strains, different genetics, the response to those changes can be drastic. And so um, that's a compounding variable when we talk about the complexity of continuous improvement. Yeah, I'm interested in knowing from um, some of the growers that are on today, how many different uh, cultivars are you working with right now? What's your what's your count of strains? If you want to drop it in the uh, the uh, message box, Scott, I have our Scott and Jason. I've got our next question. Just a reminder to everybody in attendance, please put your questions in the chat in addition to sharing what Scott just asked for. Um, got another one from Eddie. Um, going back to your example, your EC plummeted to zero and that graph as the water content fell to zero. I see this trend uh, occur where the EC and the VWC rise and fall together. Can you explain this occurrence to the group? I'm actually not smart enough to, to explain this one, but it is true uh, that this does happen. And But my understanding is this only happens at uh, extremes in water content, um, which is why I'm thinking that my sensors are not working properly. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, so it's, it's just kind of a side effect of when our EC gets that high. Um, sometimes we get a negative value from the hardware um, and that software is displaying that, that fact. So right here on the left side of your screen right now, about 4.30 or 5 p.m. on November 9th, we can see it went from a, a top flat line at 30 EC um, and down to zero. So there's just a way that that graph is is showing the values coming out of the system. Yeah, I mean, and in a if I if my math is right, if your um, feed EC is higher than your substrate EC, you will see increasing water contents increase your EC. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Which is not it's not um, I, I mean it's not common, but it, it does happen. Um, and I mean, it, it will happen in specific situations. If you, if you look at these, at also these spikes here, th this is just happening. So this spike here is on the sensor, uh, 627. And if we go down to the bottom, we can also see this is the sensor that has a water content of 12%. So this is never a water content that you would want to see in, um, in any reasonable production environment, uh, in Stonewall. Um, but uh, occasionally in a garage grow, you can see uh, crazy stuff like this. So, yeah, and that kind of comes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier is when when some of the data is uh, not necessarily real stable or consistent, it's probably not worth the time to dig too deep into it. It's really worth the time to say, hey, what's going on in the facility that, that caused such um, such erratic behavior? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and uh, I think, uh, you know, Eddie dropped in uh, 50 plus, um, yeah, 10 strains from, uh, uh, was the answer from cultivation team. You know, a real common uh, number that I hear from, from reasonably sized growers is, you know, 15, 18 uh, different strains. And when I ask them how often they're introducing new strains, they essentially say every month uh, they're, they're looking at introducing something new. And a lot of it comes from sales. You know, their salespeople go out 
uh, either to to distribution or to retail and get these uh, people saying, well, that's nice that you made this um, whatever it is, wedding cake or blue dream or something for us, but we want some we want something different. We want something new. So um, tell us tell us some of the challenges involved with introducing new strain, Jason. That's that I'm interested in that top in that uh, um, subject. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you've got a new strain, you don't necessarily have any historical data to build projectability out of it. Uh, when I was working with our sales team uh, as a cultivator, I did my best to give a very reasonable uh, projectability um, on that that um, that plant. And so the more runs I had, the stronger that projectability was. So a new strain, obviously, you're starting from scratch. Um, you don't necessarily know what type of recipe you want to be growing. So we'll take your Blue Dream uh, as a great example. When uh, when we're running Blue Dream, it's a it's a very sativa type of plant. You're typically going to push that with a much longer generative type of uh, that stacking. Um, and what that's going to do is help reduce your stretch, get your node spacing nice, really enc encourage that plant to um, become more reproductive. So build the flowering sites. Now, if we're on the other side of the spectrum and we're looking at something like a, a Mac 1, uh, a lot of times we can run that almost vegetative entire cycle simply because it's a, it's a stubbier type of plant. Mm -hmm. um, and then going back to kind of how that process is difficult um, to really decide how many strains we want. Obviously, on the sales side, people love variety. They like the new stuff. From the cultivation side, um, that introduces a lot of the challenges that we were just talking about. So a good collaboration with the sales team and the cultivation team to say, this is our most valuable type of product, but it's uh, you know also the most popular. So that's where it kind of comes down to, how does it grow? Um, how much of it can we grow? How fast? And then it needs to be determined by how fast does the sales team move it? What's the yeah. demand in the market, yeah. et cetera. And those have to really meet in the middle for optimization of uh, seed to sale, if you will. Yep. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because um, we do want to take that task data we were just showing, you know, uh, how long it takes to do tasks. And we do intend to write that back to the cultivar record so that, uh, you know, after, I mean, after the, the fixed costs really the biggest determinant of um, how much each strain costs to make isn't going to be that stuff that's the same, the lighting bill, the substrate bill. It's going to be how many times was the plant touched. And uh, those get those plant touches get to be really expensive. If we can create a way to, uh, I, I mean, we have created a way to time those tasks um, and we can already write them back to the, uh, to the cultivar uh, record, but then to look at that over time, how much time does it take the um, the grow techs, um, or even, you know, on the trimming side, how much time does it take to get this product out? And how does that um, cost of goods sold compare with the different strains? And then how well are those, you know, how marketable are each of those strains we want to get to? Like, hey, this is this is the strain that we're doing awesome at, uh, at producing and, and selling rather than just, hey, this is where the highest price is in the marketplace. Um, I've got our next right, go question ahead. from John. Yes, we have about five more minutes. So anybody out there who has any burning questions for Arroyo, please do put them in the chat so we can get them answered. Um, John wants to know, why is grams per square foot per year the holy grail of metrics? <laughs> yeah, well, um, it is 
I think it's the Holy Grail right now because that's what we can give you guys. Um, you know, that's what we can actually show you on our screen. So when we go in here and we look at uh, Anoroya, and I don't even think I have any data on this in my system yet in the home grow because I've actually <laughs> I do I have some fake data that I put in in terms of yield. So if you don't have metric running, you're basically uh, putting in manual yield numbers, and then you can calculate grams per square foot. So. Um, the first reason is that this is the number that we can get you right now. The second reason that it's the holy grail is that right now the cannabis industry is very focused on production. And um, of course, you know, different things are happening with pricing in different states like, uh, you know, like California, as many, you know, many people have seen uh, this fall. But still, in most cases, the, the market is growing quickly and most producers are worried about um the uh being able to give supply to the market not so much worried about their efficiency so right now because they're focused on top line um grams per square foot per year really is a top line number because you multiply that by your wholesale price and that's what your revenue is going to be um i think the real holy grail metric though is going to be profit per square foot per year which takes into account how expensive it is to pr produce each of these cultivars and then um, you know, is a that that puts a handicap on the um, revenue number that you can get by saying, well, this is how much it costs us to produce. Um, so I, I think we can at some point we can get to um, profit per square foot per year. Right now, the holy grail is grams per square foot per year because that's what we can show you. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to squeeze this one in because I think it's really important. I run into some capacity issues at some client facilities. And they are um, having an issue collecting all of the data sets that are inside of Arroyo. And so I basically have them focus on like runoff to make sure I'm not oversaturating the substrate and basically wasting nutrients. But with capacity being an issue for collecting data, coming and engaging with these new client facilities, what would be the most important data to collect uh, that you would collect if possible, you know, if, you're, if your capacity is limited to collect all of the data sets? I I have an opinion. I mean, I, I would say it is really critical manually to get plant height, but I don't know what you'd say, Jason. What's the first one you would get manually? Um, yeah, I mean, this is why the more sensor types that you have, the, the more capacity you have to start looking at that other stuff. Uh, obviously, time series, it's nice to have a running scope of, of what this looks like, um, you know, day to day or, or every other day as far as taking those data sets runoff volume absolutely that's a that's a huge one um that's going to be something that you can't necessarily completely evaluate from your water content um, obviously once we reach saturation that sensor is not telling us specifically how much more you're pushing out we can kind of get some idea by how much your ec has changed um, mm -hmm. during that runoff time but that's kind of an inferred value rather than having a, a specific runoff reading uh, for for volume Plant height. I love plant height for determining when we actually should change our uh, our steering schedule. Um, I think as Scott mentioned earlier, uh, good time to to kind of plan for more vegetative growth is when your your stretching has uh, has mostly stopped. Yeah. Um. And uh, one one other, a couple of points on that one is just um. 
we do want to make it easier to collect data in the future, and we're working on ways to automatically collect things like plant height or or runoff just from the data sets that we have or, or using new sensor types. Um, so please stay tuned for that. It's um, it's maybe uh, it, it's premature to talk about it, except to say we know we want to make it easier for everybody to get critical data like plant height or like runoff into the system, and and we're developing ways of doing that because we're you know, because we started off with the science. That's where we started off as a, as a company. Um, so uh, why don't we get to Rosie's question as the last one, Keisha, is that, would that be good? Yep, perfect. So Rosie wants to know, wondering when you start your feed from when you plug a four by four by four block at full saturation, EC, moisture? I'll take this one. Please. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's a great question. I'm not going to get into the exact specifics of, of your EC um, of, or of your moisture content. Um, it's going to depend a little bit on the brand of rock wool that you're using for that moisture content, um, brand of, of nutrients and additives uh, for that exact EC. But as far as um, when you start to, to feed, when you do begin fertigations in that four by four, uh, I'd typically say, you know, within at least two to three days um, to start with. Um, no longer than that, you do want to make sure that you're stimulating small shots to the top of that block. Uh, obviously, that plug doesn't necessarily have much root growth. Um, so if we go too long, the top of that block is going to be a little bit drier than the bottom. Um, so keeping an eye on your water content, do conceptualize the, the physical makeup of that substrate in respect to the volume that the roots are being able to tap at that plant growth size. Yeah, um, and just before we log off, one thing Eddie mentioned that that uh, talking about runoff and avoiding uh, fertilizer, everything that's you know that's going on in this crazy world right now in supply chain, uh, by the way, does is starting to affect uh, fertilizer prices as well. And I've always heard cannabis growers say fertilizer is super cheap, so why cheap out on fertilizer? But I can, uh, if it hasn't already, fertilizer is about to get a lot more expensive. It's, uh, it's just another reason to dial in your irrigation strategy is that runoff, that ir that uh, fertigation that uh, doesn't get used by the plant is, is going to get a little bit more expensive here in the future. Um, so um, with that, uh, I think we will sign off for today. Keisha, any, anything else? Nothing else. Thank you all so much for submitting your questions. Yeah, yeah, great point on the zero runoff too, Eddie. Thanks, everyone. Um, we'll see you um, in the future. Thanks for your questions and uh, see you next time. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io.